next, we have Brian Stiverson with the message. Hello, guys. What is up? What is up? How are you guys doing? How are you all doing? What's up? What's up? Right on, right on. Uh, can you even do that? Let's hear it. What, how are you guys doing? Oh, dude. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Oh, all right, all right. How are you doing? Yeah! All right, that was, you know, you guys can't beat that. It's, it's all right. Let's just, they surrender. They surrender. But it's great to be with you guys. And as we were just in preparing for this message and just worshiping, man, worship was amazing. It's cool to have Brandon back. I'm so grateful for all the worship leaders we have, but it was amazing to have Brandon back on stage. It's good to have you guys back as well. But this week I've been just meditating on the names of God. And there's one that's not even my message, it's El Shaddai. And there was a song a long time ago called El Shaddai. And it talks about the outcast that was on her knees. You're the God who truly sees. And El Shaddai means all sufficient one, that he is sufficient. And here's the problem. In life, we see our insufficiency, right? But God is all sufficient, all sufficient, not a little bit. He's more than enough for you. In other words, that's what it means. He is more than enough for you. So as we're going in today, as we're going into what the Spirit of God wants today, He sees you and He is more than enough for you. In your insufficiency, He is El Shaddai, your sufficiency. So I've got a little bit of story. Some of you guys have heard this. When Ellie was super small, super young, you know, we're talking about this new building for the youth and all. When we had just built this building, we had our services and it was chaotic. Like it's always chaotic out into the, in the foyer. What is it actually called? Is it a foyer? A lobby. Thank you for a, 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 a this century kind of word. I like that. But the lobby was crazy. The services were getting out. People were coming in. People were trying to get their kids. And when you're a pastor's kid, Usually your parents never go get you. So the children's pastor, you know, Eric, he can relate to this because he had to do it for a while. He's like, all right, just send them. So the kids would get sent because nobody would pick them up. Well, Ellie was super young. I mean, super young. I don't even know if Jason was, where, I don't know where you were, man. I don't know if you know he was in existence. And so I see her and I'm looking for her, right? She's my girl. I'm go out there. I'm looking for her. And I see her and she's wandering around and you can see that there's a little bit of anxiety. She can't find her mom and dad. She can't find daddy. And so she's wandering around and it's crazy and it's chaotic and it's busy. And there was a guy that went to our church. Some of you remember him, he moved away up north. When you live in Florida, everything's up north. But he lives up north named Nate Garcia. And he was about my height and he was bald, handsomely bald. And he was over there and I saw Ellie and she only saw the back of him. And so she went up to him because she's like, there's daddy. And I remember she grabbed his hands and you could see that he was, you know, she was relieved. And I remember Nate kind of like looked around and he saw me and he kind of smiled and I kind of smiled and he just kept holding her hand. But finally she looked up and in horror, her face, all that anxiety that had been gone was now back in fear of whose hand am I holding? And of course, I went over there and I swooped in. I said, hey, it's all right. I'm right here and all that. But see, that's how it is in life right now. You see, who is the first person a child is looking for in a room when it's chaotic? The person they trust the most, their parents, their mom, their dad. She knew in the chaos she had to get to me. But in the chaos and in her anxiety, she ended up clasping hands with the stranger. And see, many of us are going through life right now 
feeling that anxiety of what's happening in our world. We're facing circumstances that are completely unexpected and out of our control, and we're grasping for a hand. And so often we've been hurt so many times, we're like, do I even wanna take the hand of God? Can I trust him? And so we almost would get to a place where we prefer holding hands with the stranger. But see, just like I was in the midst of, of Ellie, who was so young, that little chaos going on, I was there. I was in control, I could see her. It's the same thing, Jesus is here. He's here right now, he sees you. And he's saying, do not be afraid, trust me, trust in me. See, we're talking about trust today in, in Google, since Google is the final authority on all things. Google defines it as this, a firm belief. Can we change that where I can see it up there? A firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability or strength of someone or something. We know who that someone is, our God, who never fails us and never forsakes us. He is totally reliable, totally full of truth and ability. See, here's the problem. Listen, listen up. Many of you believe in a God you don't trust. There's a disconnect between my faith in Christ to get me to heaven and my trust in Christ to navigate me on earth. See, you know I like word pictures. And trust in the Bible, the word picture is laying fully down on something or leaning your whole weight on something. We just went to SeaWorld a little while back and I haven't been in a while. And I do like roller coasters, but this one's a newer one. I, I say it's new, maybe it's not, called Mako. Now it looks kind of crazy there, right? It doesn't look too bad though, and it's not. It's one of these ones that's super slow when you're going and it's like you're going up and down, up and down. And I like the ones that are the twisty and the crazy and I feel like, man, it's pulling me down. But this one, you're like, it's pulling you up real slowly. And I was like the only one, everybody else had fun. I'm the only one on the roller coaster trying to hold myself down because I don't trust the roller coaster. I'm like holding down, it's trying to pull me up and I'm pulling myself down. Everybody's like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, you know, over here. But see, that's a lot of what we're doing in life. We don't trust our God. See, look at the chair you're in. I don't see you trying to hold that chair. You're secure that that chair will hold your weight. You're putting your whole weight on it. Ben's actually propped up. Look at him. You believe that that is gonna hold you up. And how silly would it look if you were over there trying to help your chair out? But see, that's how so many of us are with God. Many of you trust the chair you're in this morning. You're not trying to help the chair out. So why are you trying to help God out? You're secure in the chair and you trust it'll hold you up. So why don't you trust your God who loves you and called you by name and called you forth? You are who he says you are. Why don't you trust him? Let me toughen up that definition of trusting a little bit. Trusting is believing in the promises of God, the character of God in all circumstances, even in those where the evidence seems to be contrary. So what is the key to trust? I believe in you, God. Why don't I trust you? David wrote this amazing verse in Psalm 910. It says, those who know your name will trust you because you, O Lord, have never forsaken those 
who seek you. Those who know his name. Do you know his name? Listen, I'm not talking about a theology or a religion and you can name a bunch of stuff and a bunch of verses. I'm saying, do you know him? Do you know his name? Are you trusting that God is gonna show up and show out? Where are you at? See, when you know something about someone, it's important, right? What you know about someone is important. And those who know his name trust in him. So what do you call God? Is he some distant providential God? He might be there. Maybe he's all sufficient. Maybe he's half sufficient. Or is he all sufficient, El Shaddai? See, why does this matter? Well, what you call someone really, really matters because what you call someone tells us a lot about the relationship. The name which we use often reveals the depth of the intimacy of that relationship. See, I've got different names based on sometimes positions I have or whatever. Some people call me Pastor Brian. The homework club kids call me Mr. Brian. I've been known as son or my, my niece and nephews in Colorado call me Unky. Um, Taylor reminded me today that, and I'm not gonna tell him what it is, sometimes I'm known as Captain Baroni in some circles. We won't go there. And I have other nicknames. My mom used to call me BR growing up, probably because I like Baskin Robbins. I don't know. Ice cream, come on. And then when I came here, I met a guy named Brian Leg, and he gave me the name Stivey. But nobody would know about that in other parts of the country when I lived in Arizona. And I have nicknames for Jen. That's for me and Jen to, to talk about, not for you. <laughs> and I've got nicknames for the kids. I call Jason Bubs, which turns into Bubby Cakes, which is in Cakes and Cakes Magee, and it goes on and on and on. And I call Ellie SPD. I won't tell you all about what that is either. But they all express something about the relationship. In Arizona, when I used to go down to Mexico, I had a name, because Brian doesn't really translate in Spanish and they wanted to call us by Spanish names. So they called me by my first name, Ramon. Now, if you know what that means in English, you better not call it to me. Sorry, mom, it's Raymond. Nobody, I would, see if you told me that, I would have laughed. So here's what I wanna say. Some of you guys know, you know, Taylor, my niece and her mom, Jill. Well, Jill married Clarence and Jen married Raymond. Raymond and Clarence. So when we know we're in trouble, they say Raymond and Clarence. So, but there's intimacy, right? There's intimacy. And there's a few people, two to be exact, who call me daddy. And that name reflects the intimacy that we have. And what that means is I've told them hundreds of bedtime stories. We spent time together and I've hugged them more than just about anybody alive on this planet besides Jen. See, what you call someone tells you so much about the relationship. What you call God reflects the intimacy of your relationship with God. And it shows us how well you know him. See, to a lot, God's just some distant God. The big man upstairs, he's distant. But Jesus called him Abba, which means Papa in Aramaic or Daddy, like a father. Jesus called him Father, Abba, Papa. That reflected the intimacy of their relationship. And listen, Jesus told us to call our Father in heaven the same thing, Abba. I want you to look again at Psalm 910. David said to God, those who know your name trust in you. How do you grow in your trust to God? 
Because you know, everybody's like, well, just trust in God. Just trust in God. How do you grow in your trust in God then? You get to know his name. You get to know his character. See, often in the Old Testament, God would use his sacred name, Yahweh or Jehovah, meaning Lord, and attach some quality or characteristic behind that. And it taught something about himself, an intimacy with those people who heard it about himself that they needed to hear in the moment. What do you need to hear right now from God? Where are you? I wanna show you a few of those to help you know some of the names of God so you can get to know God because when you know his name, you'll start to trust his heart, his character. The first one is what I told you, it's his sacred name, Yahweh. Listen, we're singing the blessing at the end. Spoiler alert, the blessing at the end. And I'll just tell you, because that comes from numbers. And you guys know Spock from Star Trek? They did this crazy thing. Well, he was Jewish. And the priest would recite that numbers that we're gonna sing. And what they do is they would go like this. Because it looked like the Hebrew letters for Yahweh or Jehovah. And it was, they would recite the numbers blessing that we're gonna be singing at the end. It's his sacred name. He is Lord. But then in the moment of intimacy, he would say, I'm Lord of something. I am Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, your banner, the Lord, your miracle. Some of you need that banner of victory in your life right now to have faith and say, I don't see it, but I proclaim it, that you're my banner of victory. Some of you need a miracle right now, and he's your miracle. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd. Some of you need to be still because you're so busy and distracted. You're so distracted and you need a shepherd that will lead you. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Some of you are so wounded and you need the great physician, your healer to reach into your heart, into your mind and heal you of the hurts and habits and things in your life. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Some of you are worried about the future. He's there. He's got it. He stands without time. He entered into time in incarnation, but he stands outside. He's the God that is there and goes before you. Jehovah to Sidkenu. He's your righteousness. When you feel unrighteous, when you've messed up, righteousness means right standing. If you're in Christ, you have right standing. Some of you came home and you're like, I already blew it. Guess what? Jesus' righteousness covers you. You have right standing with the Father because of the blood of Jesus. You can go into the throne room anytime and you have his glad welcome. He is your righteousness. You can never be good enough, so he was good enough for you. I love this one because it's hard to pronounce. Jehovah Mekedoshim, the Lord who sanctifies you. He's making you look like Jesus and you don't even know it. He's sanctifying you with his word, washing you with the word of God and speaking to you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He's your provider. Some of you are so nervous about what's going on in the world. Our God is your provision. He will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He's your peace. He's your peace. And he knows the way before you. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, 
sending them to minister to the heirs of salvation. He fights your battle. He's your king and your God. God reveals himself by many names throughout the scriptures to express the aspect of his character that is vital for us to know. But every name of God, every characteristic is now found in the face of Jesus. When we see him, we see the father, our rock, our maker. Jesus is your healer. He is your miracle. He is your shepherd. He is your provision and provider. Jesus is your righteousness. He is your shalom, your police, your peace. Maybe he's the police too. Jesus is your banner of victory. Jesus is the Lord of hosts, commanding angel armies around you. And let me show you one of my favorite names for God in Genesis. I kind of mentioned it a little bit. In fact, God doesn't even say this about himself. The woman in the story names him this. It's really cool. Abraham had a a wife named Sarah. Some of you guys know that, who couldn't have children. So Sarah has a bright idea in her anxiety and her worry. How many of you know that's when not to start making, having bright ideas is in your worry and anxiety. So her bright idea is to give Abraham her maidservant, Hagar, to have a child. Well, Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham to sleep with her to produce an offspring but it doesn't go very good. By the way, the Bible says, do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. So let me pick it up in Genesis 16, because Hagar flees from Sarah, because Sarah mistreats her. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I love that. He is the God that sees you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you need to hear that. That he sees you. And I love that it says the angel of the Lord, AKA Jesus. It's called a Christophany in theology. It's Jesus pre-incarnate. Angel just means messenger. We're not talking about the creature angels. We're talking about the messenger of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate is searching for her and found her. Listen, Jesus finds you. Wherever you're at, he finds you. And he asked her a question, which you already know, it's God, right? Because God always asks questions. And the question isn't for her sake, he already knows. It's to get her to look at her heart. It's to get us to look at our heart. Where are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? But here's what he says. He says, I see you, now go back. What? Go back? Can I trust God to go back? God, I'm running away from that. I don't wanna face that pain. I don't wanna face my marriage. I don't wanna face the different things going on in my life. I don't wanna face my parents. I don't wanna go, go back. I'm the God who sees you, go back. Please, I wanna get away from it. Go back. Ever said to God something like this? I've said it many times. God, something has to change or I'm just gonna burst. I'm gonna go off. 
Something's got to change, God, please. Go back. Something's got to change. That's not good enough, God. See, God feels the same way. Something does have to change, but it wasn't Hagar's circumstances. It was Hagar's heart. God often takes us through a process of change by sending us right back to the place we were running away from, right back to the person we were running away from, or to face the very thing we don't want to face. It's his process. And do you trust the process? You see, she had a name and a promise to carry with her during the process. You see, the next day, Hagar woke up went to work and cleaned. She went back to the process. It was probably not easy. Sarah probably mistreated her. Her problems didn't go away. God said, go back, face it. But God had given her a name and a promise. And although it looked as if nothing had changed on the outside, something was changing on the inside of Hagar. She knew something about God. He was growing her. And it's the same with us. God is building our trust in him, our character, growing us, but we have to be willing to submit and trust his process. You see, the process refines us. See, the question is not, can we trust God? We're always putting God on trial, right? Well, I don't know if God's gonna come through this time. We're always putting God on trial, but it's our hearts that need to be on trial. The question isn't, is God trustworthy? The question is, can God trust us? And he has to take us through the process to change this. Let me tell you what trusting God doesn't mean. Trusting God does not mean that you believe everything will go the way you want it to, and it does. Trusting God does not mean that God will explain everything that is going on in your life. And this one's hard to hear. But God doesn't owe us an explanation when life is painful and confusing. He says, go back. I don't want to hear that. Go back. In other words, we have to trust that he can see when we cannot. His wisdom is beyond our ability to conceive it and perceive it. He's all-knowing, all-sufficient, ever-present. In other words, he knows what's up. We don't. In contrast, we are flawed, contaminated by sin, fickle, finite, and we can't see the big picture, yet we feel like we need to tell God what's up. We think we're the anomaly. Well, I'm different than others. I don't know if I can trust God because, I mean, look at me. Listen, it's not his first rodeo. You're not the first human he's dealt with. You're not the first son or daughter he's dealt with. He knows what he's doing and we can trust him. Put your trust in the trustworthiness of God. This was my pastor in Arizona when I was growing up and it stuck with me. Put your trust, listen, when you can't put your trust in people, when you can't put your trust in your job, when you can't put your trust even in the church, when you can't put your trust in anything, put your trust in the trustworthiness of God and submit to the process. God told her not only to go back, but to submit to Sarah. What? What? Speaking of the process, some of you guys have maybe seen a Chinese bamboo tree. So there's a Chinese bam bamboo tree right there. The tree begins as a, a nut planted in soil and must be watered and fertilized every single day for five years before it finally breaks through the ground. So think of it, five years before you see anything above ground, five years 
all that time, it spreads out its roots. I love your guys' shirts. Those are pretty awesome. Those are really cool. But listen up at what this is saying. All that time it spreads out its roots before it's ever seen above ground. And if at any time the watering or the fertilizing process stops, the Chinese bamboo tree dies in the ground. But in the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo tree finally breaks through the ground and it grows to nearly 90 feet tall in just six weeks. The tree must take five long years of developing a strong, deep, wide root system so it doesn't topple over when it's grown. See, we tend to get frustrated when we don't get results immediately. The truth is though that the process is essential and we all go through the process to become more like Jesus, more of him, less of me. But here's the question, I want you to hear this because I know how it is to be in the church. I know all about dead religion. I know all about pain in life and how we get, we get bitter. And the question is, will you allow the process when he says, go back and submit? I don't wanna hear that, but will we make it, make it bitter? Will you allow the process to develop you or embitter you? See, bitterness is unbelief in the promises of God. And I'm telling you, I know in this place, there's people who are bitter right now at God. But here's the thing about bitterness. First Hebrews says, when we're bitter and have an unforgiving heart, we miss out on the grace of God. But at some point, you stop trusting God to be God. And anxiety and worry and fear became your God. You exchanged glory for the devil's lie. You talk about the great exchange. You see, anxiety is the result of trying to control something you can't control. Something you're unwilling to place in his hands. In an effort to control things, they ended up having a bitter control over your heart and your mind. See our first reaction, right? Is to figure it out, make a plan, put your head down stubbornly and make it work out. Or maybe we run away like Hagar, or maybe you just hide it and bury it. All in effort to control. And that's the root of our anxiety. I want you just to, real fast, I want you to look at your hands right now. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Do you see any holes in them? No. Now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of Jesus' hands. I want you to picture those rough hands that worked hard, calloused, creases. I want you to look at the hand in your mind. See the holes. See the holes in his hands. They have holes in them where nails were driven in by the very hands that he created. Your sin. But he did it just for you. Those hands will always tell you how trustworthy he is. Those hands will always tell you how strong and able and trustworthy he is. Stop taking things in your own hands. Place it in God's hands. Let God be God. When it's darkest, he's closest. When you can't feel him, he's nearest. And don't shortcut the process. You see the pride of human heart, of the human heart, declares that God serves us and he should bend to our wishes and our timing. But this is a heart who has forgotten who God is. 
We are not God. You are not God. And thank goodness he is God and we are not. Trust his process. So Hagar goes back and submits. All is well, right? Everyone's happy. Perfect bow tie ending to the story, right? No, it's the Bible. So it's super real, right? So you know it's not gonna go like that. It's, it's true to life. Later when Sarah finally has a child, the promised child has come. And it's beautiful. Because Jesus is gonna come from this lineage. It's beautiful. It's the promised child. Sarah has a fu- the child, but guess what? Baby mama drama all over again. Genesis 21. This time, instead of running away, see, you can tell she's maturing because instead of running away, she actually gets kicked out by Sarah and Abraham. Let me read the scripture to you. So Hagar went on her way and she wandered in the desert. How many of you feel like that right now? I'm just wandering in the desert. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. She wanted to die. That's what it's saying nicely. But God heard the boy crying and the angel of God, we know who that is, the messenger of the Lord, Jesus called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And this is the verse I want you to hear today. Don't leave without getting this point. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. See, the God who went to her the first time says, I'm the God who sees you. But this time he opens her eyes to see a well. But see, the well was always there. When you're wandering around in the desert, there is a well right next to you. You just need your eyes open to see it. And we'll talk about that in a second. So this time she's kicked out and wandering and she sits down and it's code for I've given up. I'm alone, I'm done, I have no future, I have no hope. And what she is saying is I wanna die. She's saying it's over. I just, something's gotta change, God. I went back, I can't take it anymore. And I wanna be really ginger here. The times we live in right now are hard. We try to pretend that we don't have a lot of anxiety from it. We try to be tough. But the times we live in it are hard. Anxiety, fear. And there's something that's been really close to my heart. The suicide rate has skyrocketed since COVID-19 and the quarantine because of the fear, anxiety, hopelessness, worthlessness, and aloneness. There have been more suicides in the state of California than COVID deaths. Please hear me. That's not to take away from the precious ones who died from COVID-19. All I'm merely trying to show is we are fighting this on many sides during this pandemic and I'm concerned. And I can bet that there's many in this place or at home watching and you're ashamed to admit it, but you're facing those kind of thoughts. First, I wanna say this to you, and it's from God. 
he sees you. You are seen. Second, if you're a child of God and you have those thoughts and you feel incredibly guilty, you're not alone. You're not alone. Elijah, Jonah, Moses, Hagar, all said in some shape or form, take my life. Elijah was afraid, running for his life. And it says he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He gave up. Next, having suicidal thoughts and being suicidal are two different things. However, both are very serious and deserve attention. Please get help. There's a hotline. You can call a pastor. And I want to invite you to celebrate recovery 7 p.m. here on Friday nights where you can be real, where you can take the mask off and say, this is my struggle. And you're going to find you're not the only one. You're not some strange anomaly. You find you're not alone. Child of God, your life is not yours to take. Listen, do you know the value of something? You know the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it, right? You know the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. Do you know what God paid to have you? You were worth the most valuable thing the father had, the precious blood of his son, Jesus. His blood speaks your value and worth. And I wanna pray this prayer over you as if it were coming from your mouth this morning because I know how it is when you get in the place of darkness, it's hard to pray, it's hard to reach out. So I want it to be this coming from your mouth this morning. And as you listen, maybe you're like, well, Brian, why is he going on this tangent? This doesn't pertain to me. But I want you to see it from the vantage point. Maybe you struggle with fear, worry, discouragement, unforgiveness. I don't know what it is. Bitterness, a lack of trust, unbelief. I don't know. Whatever you're facing, even though it's a prayer about suicide, it's really a prayer about release and trust. And you don't have to close your eyes. Lord Jesus, remind me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and I am worth more than I know. Remind me, remind me that this life is not mine to take. Remind me that suicide is not the only option. When I feel like I don't matter, remind me that I was created with purpose. When I don't know or understand why I feel the way I feel, remind me that you know the depth of my pain in my heart, in my body, and in my being. You know me better than I know myself, and yet you still love me. I know when I'm consumed with thoughts of death, I'm believing lies from the enemy. And I ask, Lord, that you would remind me of these truths. When I feel alone, you are with me. When I feel invisible, you see me. When I feel worthless, my value is knowing you and being known by you. Lord, help me to understand that you are enough because you're everything I need and more. Remind me that when I feel hopeless, you have hope in me and for me. Remind me that when I don't have the words to cry out to you, your son Jesus is praying for me and your spirit intercedes for me with groanings too deep for words. Let this remind me that I am seen, heard, and deeply loved. Remind me that this life is not mine to take. Remind me that suicide is not the option. Remind me to love you and to love myself. And remind me that Jesus did not come to earth to die for me so that I could live a defeated life. Help me to desire life and to live fully in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, 
suicide, fear, worry, anxiety, and unforgiveness. I know this is a deep topic, but they're all forms of control. Listen, please hear this, hear this. Freedom comes from letting go of the things we cannot control and letting God be in control. Trust him. You are the apple of his eye. You're carved in the palm of his hand and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Relationship and trust are built on time spent together and he wants to spend time with you. He's excited about it. And I wanna say it again, because you may have already forgotten. The well was always there. It was always there. He wants you to know you're seen, but he wants you to see the well is right next to you. You see, the well represents Christ and Jesus is the well. He's living water. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, come to me and drink and out of him will flow streams of living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Right now, he wants you to see that he is living water for you to drink. Exchange the polluted water of fear, anxiety, and worry for his pure living water. Your anxieties are all washed away when we drink from Jesus, when we trust him in the process. In the last book in the Bible, I love it because it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. All those who are gripped by spiritual thirst, come. That's his invitation. Grip our hearts, Holy Spirit, with thirst and quench us overflowing. You see, I believe he's moving in this place right now. That he's opening your eyes to see the well has always been there. That you can trust him. Many of you were on youth retreat and winter retreat and you felt that spiritual high, right? How many of you felt that? Man, Christ was so, he was next to you. The well was right there. The well was right there. And you were on a high, but then you felt that spiritual crash when you came back, because you're back in the process, just like Hagar. You changed, but your circumstances haven't. And it's normal. Maybe some of you got depressed. Some of you got the blues coming back, but go to the well. Go to the living water. Carry his name and the new name that he gave each one of you because it carries you through the process. And I didn't add this in the, the verse, but I love what it says right after. And we're wrapping it up. It says, Hagar and Ishmael thrived and grew up in the desert. He became an archer, a warrior. See, remember before they're wandering in the desert. Now they're thriving in the desert. They went from wandering in the desert to thriving in the desert. Listen, there's a way to thrive in the desert, in the times that we live in, in whatever's happening in your life. In the desert, you can thrive, and he makes you a warrior ready to battle. Some of you are wandering in the desert, giving up when you could be thriving. When the well is right next to you, drink from it the living water of Holy Spirit. Listen, no matter what's happening, no matter what's happening, there's always a well. He just needs you to see it. He just needs you to trust him. Band, you can come up. This week, you need to turn off Netflix. You need to turn your phone off. You need to turn off the news and seek him with all your heart. We're so distracted. We're so distracted. No wonder why we don't trust our God. Some of you need to give those things up and trust him again. 
Those who know your name, trust in you, O Lord, for you have never forsaken those who seek you. See, David was always saying, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're my strong tower. He was always saying, God, you're my peace. And you need to do that and start declaring it, turning all the distractions off and declaring that your God is your peace, that Jesus is your shepherd, that Jesus is your sanctifier, your provider, your righteousness and your healer. He is your banner of victory and he commands angel armies for his sons and daughters. And he's in the room right now. He's here right now. Some of you today maybe have given up hope. You're running away, you're wandering. Maybe you've even thought about suicide. Maybe it's just fear and anxiety or an unforgiving spirit. Maybe it's a spirit of religion. I've invited Nathan and Andrea Gabaldon. They're our pastors of our CR, Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And they're gonna have some anointing oil and they're gonna be standing right here. And I'm gonna be over here with some oil. If you want us to wear a mask, we'll, we're willing, whatever you think. But that oil represents the Holy Spirit, the living water. It just represents it. Sometimes we need to remember where the well is. Sometimes we need someone to talk to, someone to pray over us. And I know it's hard in a room like this. Nobody wants to admit anything, right? But listen, come to the place where he can open your eyes to see the well. When we come to an end of ourselves is when God takes over. Some of us aren't willing to come to an end to ourselves so that God can be in control. Give up control, let go and let God. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now that God, you would give revelation of your son, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, enlighten the eyes of their hearts, Father. They would see Christ. They would see nail-scarred hands, that they would have a revelation from your Holy Spirit. God, that they would just see you, Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are in despair and fear, anxiety, that you'd strengthen their inmost being through power, out of your glorious riches through your spirit right now. Strengthen them, Lord. Show them that you're El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, that in their lack of sufficiency, you are all-sufficient, that you're more than enough for every need, more than enough for everything in their lives, every obstacle. Lord, you are able. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. As you stand, we'll be down here. I'll be kind of in the middle. Nathan and Andrea are there. We just want to anoint you with oil. But let's worship our King. He's in this place. He's your rock. He's your refuge. I will trust you. I will trust you. Let's stand and worship our King.